Welcome to Ride Over Stride, episode 55. Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis, a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I'm happy to be back with Master Horseman Van Hargis. Hey, Van, what's up? What's up is the temperature and humidity index down in South Texas, Laura. Do something. Please send your air conditioners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Boy, well, we got it's probably not as bad up here in North Texas as it is down there, but uh, it, it is definitely summertime in, in Texas. Yes, it is. I mean, the good thing is, is that, you know, if you're one of those people that are inspired by little changes in life, then you can like get on the scale first thing in the morning. And then get on the scale when you very first come in in the evening and don't look in between because you'll, you'll, I mean, just on a daily basis, um, just in water loss alone, my goodness, I'll lose about five or 10 pounds. I just wish it was cumulative, right? We could just keep adding to that. But unfortunately, I'll drink as much water as I possibly can. And, you know, of course, we're in Texas, so we're going to have a few gallons of, of good old sweet iced tea. And before you know it, I'm right back to what I was before I went out that morning. So anyway. Laura, today, you know how we're always encouraging people to send us their questions and their comments. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, I address those kind of privately. I'll send them uh, either an audio recording or I'll oftentimes send a, a little video response of if, if it's something that truly needs to be demonstrated. And if nothing else, sometimes I'll just type out something on an email. Kind of depends on where I am, what I'm doing, and, and what we're able to do. But I absolutely love getting the feedback from folks. I love getting the questions. Occasionally, I'll pick a few of the questions because I think that makes it easy for us to have more content on our, on our podcast. So today, we're going to address two separate questions from two, list, two separate listeners uh, in regard to some things that they kind of ask in regard to previous episodes. Cool. So that's kind of what we're going to head today and kind of go along those lines. I'm hoping that I can paint a good enough picture uh, with our our wording and our verbiage. However, if we can't, I made promises to these ladies that I would actually do videos if the podcast wasn't clear enough and and wasn't uh, wasn't effective enough for them. So we just want to let them know that we'll we will do what I call a vodcast also, which is just a little short video clip. We add that, of course, to our top hand library. But when it's ever in direct question to or in de- direct response to a question that's sent into us, I send it to that listener first. And then we upload it on the Top Hand Club's uh, website so that so that everybody can see it as well. But yeah. we just give that first little bite to to the listener. Great, so nice nice reward for giving you some feedback and taking you up on that that uh, offer to answer questions. You betcha, and I and I love doing it. It's it's fun to do. Um, all I ever ask of anybody is because certain times of the year we travel a whole heck of a lot more than normal. So I may be as motivated as I can be, but I just don't have maybe the opportunity to, to, to videotape something. But if we, we yeah. promise that if we ever decide that we're going to, we, we do it, but we have to do it obviously in a, in a, in a manner that suits us. I can't video things with horses on airplanes. The, yeah, the I just can't figure out how to get them like past that, customs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> the, the flight attendants would not enjoy that at all anyway, so. Okay, so no, quest, especially since we don't have horses, we, we we make the flight attendants play that role, and they <laughs> they don't like it. 
<laughs> the, the flight attendants on Southwest might actually enjoy it. They're, they've got pretty good sense of humor. So on, on They airline. do have good sense of humor, don't they? All right. Well, well back to where we started. Questions that question we had. one. <laughs> yep. Question one. A couple of questions that we had uh, was when regarding to horses not being responsive to their go forward cue. In other words, they said they got kind of a lazy horse and it just won't go forward. And they, they've tried everything from stomping the ground to waving the lead rope and the horse is just not responding to that. So the question is, well, Van, what, what would you do and, and uh, what would you recommend I do? And I'm going to start it off by saying, well, it depends. <laughs> uh, but what I would probably do in a situation is I don't want to make sure the horse understood that I, when we're asking a horse to go somewhere, it's not debatable. I need the horse to get off the tracks. And what I mean by that is if I ask it to move, it needs to move. Because who's the horse to decide whether or not, if I'm asking it to move, whether or not it's a, an emergency or not? Sometimes it can be. So I want the horses to be very, very responsive. Doesn't mean that just because I barely wiggle in the saddle, I don't want them to bolt up underneath me. Or if we're working them on the ground, it doesn't mean if I send them a particular direction. I want them to bolt out from underneath me or bolt away from me. I just simply need a response and I need an immediate response. Or they don't need time to think about it. They just need to process the, the, the cue and then move forward. Question is, how do we do that? Well, first of all, we need to be very deliberate in our actions. Everything I do to communicate with a horse, I want to be very deliberate. And what I mean by deliberate, Laura, is I don't want to send little bitty, tiny, subtle signals in the beginning that the horse is wondering if I'm scratching a fly off my brow or if I'm actually trying to send some sort of signal to the horse. So I need to make sure that I have the horse's attention and that the horse sees me make a very deliberate movement. If I can get the horse to move off of just that movement alone, I'm ahead of the game. If I can't, I need to be prepared to escalate that. So what I mean by that is, is that let's say, for example, the horse is, is facing me directly. And the horse is perfectly perpendicular with my body. And I'm going to have this horse on a fairly short lead rope for the, for the first part of this exercise. In the beginning, I'm going to raise my left hand with the lead rope intact to between my left hand and the horse's halter. And what I would like to see is for the horse to just move its nose ever so slightly toward the feel, if you will, just the weight of that lead rope to the direction I'm sending it. So if I've got my left hand up and I'm facing my horse, the horse is going to look ever so slightly to the right. Once that takes place, I have to realize at that point in time, that horse would be exposing its the left side of its neck to me. In other words, if I could just barely get the horse to yield its face to my left and to the horse's right, the horse will show me just ever so slightly the left side of its neck. When it does, I want to focus on that as if I am a lion about to pounce on a big old chunk of red meat. In other words, I want my demeanor to change. I want my thought to change that now I'm the predator and I'm focusing on that spot of that horse to move. I want the horse to feel that my energy has changed and I'm no longer looking at it with loving eyes. I'm looking at it as if I'm look, uh, with, with hungry eyes. Like I want that horse to feel my spirit and intent, if you will. If that stare alone at that spot is enough for the horse to start moving toward my left hand, then that's all I need to do at that stage. I've got movement, and I want to reward that movement by doing nothing more than just maintaining that and then asking the horse to continue to follow through with that movement. Question is, how would I get the horse to continue to follow through? What I want folks to realize is that our horses need to learn through 
subtle but yet deliberate signals from us that we are the leader. One thing that we have to know if we want the horse to understand that we are its leader is that we make the horse move its feet. We don't move our feet because the horse is making us. In other words, we need to move into that horse's flight zone, so to speak, and do so in such a way that the horse feels uncomfortable enough to move away from that pressure that we're applying to it. Okay, so I want the horse to feel that I'm moving toward it with a certain amount of energy, and I don't mean the energy that's going to say, oh, I love you, honey, can I come up and pet you? I want the horse to move out of there as if I'm that broodmare in the pasture that's got my ears pinned back, and if the horse doesn't move, I'm going to reach up there and bite it. So I want to step toward that horse with a certain amount of deliberate intent for the horse to move out of my space. If it does, great. If it doesn't, then I'm going to swing my lead rope right toward the same exact area in which I'm looking. At first, I'm just swinging the lead rope. I'm not making contact. I'm just swinging it. The next time I swing my lead rope, as I'm continuing to move forward, I'm going to make contact with my lead rope on that exact area that I'm focusing on. In other words, I'm, I'm telling the horse I'm going to bite you, and what I'm going to do with that lead rope is I'm going to threaten to bite, and then ultimately I'm going to bite it right at the spot that I'm looking. And uh, if the horse moves, great. If it doesn't, then the next time I swing the lead rope, I'm going to hit it a little bit harder at that exact same spot. And I'll continue to do so until the horse gets uncomfortable enough to move. When it moves, I just continue to move forward and asking the horse to begin to move a circle around me following the feel of that lead rope. And I hope that's a good picture for everybody. And it sounds like from the question that we had from our listener was that the horse didn't have any trouble moving away. It's just that once it did move away, she couldn't get it to move faster. All right. So she couldn't get it to increase its rhythm, couldn't get it to increase its pace, either from a walk to a trot or from a trot to a canter. So here's what I would do next, Laura. As I'm as I get the horse moving and I literally am lunging the horse around me on a very short lead rope, then I'm going to refocus my energy to where my left leg would be if I was riding the horse. So in other words, my energy now would be focused on somewhere around the where the stirrup would be. In other words, right there in that horse's rib cage in that midsection, that's where I'm going to be driving the horse forward by looking and focusing on that energy on that spot right there. Now, if the horse moves when I focus on that spot and increases his energy a little bit, that's great. If he doesn't, I'm going to swing the lead rope one time, uh, either toward his rib cage or toward his rump. If that works, great. If it doesn't, I'm going to swing it the next time, but I'm going to make contact. And if the horse moves a little bit with a little bit more rhythm, a little bit more change in its pattern to go a little bit faster, then that's great. If it doesn't, then the third time I'm going to whack that lead rope on the horse's butt or in that rib cage area just a little bit more firm. And again, just to make it uncomfortable enough to get some sort of positive change. But here's what we have to realize is that the moment the horse gives us that good positive change, we need to keep our energy driving forward, but stop swinging our lead rope. Because if we continue to to whack the horse on the butt with a lead rope or use a stick or whatever you want to use, if you continue to do that, then the horse will just learn to get desensitized to the lead rope swinging, it won't mean anything to him, or he'll get desensitized to the stick whacking him on the rib cage or on the butt, and it won't mean anything to him, and he'll go right back to what's easier for the horse, which is a slower pace. So we have to realize that if we're going to make the threat with the lead rope or the threat with the stick, we have to use it, but we immediately have to take it away once we get a positive response. 
And doesn't this go back to what I've heard you say before that that horses don't learn so much from pressure as from the release of pressure. And so when you get the result you want, you release that pressure, you stop swinging the rope. So they know, okay, that this is what Van wanted. And as long as Absolutely. I keep doing this, he's not going to, he's not going to bug me. Exactly. But we also have to ask ourselves this question. Now, once the horse is moving, let's say the horse is moving around us in a nice little circle, she's moving off with a cadence in which we've asked for. What we have to realize is that we also have to dictate that cadence. We can't whack the horse in the button and stop and stand still and expect the horse to keep working, which means that if we want the horse to continue to move, then we have to continue to move. I Nothing kind of bothers me more when I'm watching somebody lunge a horse than when they stand in one spot and don't move and they expect the horse to do all the work around them and then continue to move. Because when they do that, they're missing out on establishing that concept that rhythm gets rhythm, that movement gets movement. And that same person that'll do that a lot will also be the one to complain that when they want their horse to stop, their horse won't stop. So again, I'm going to go back and ask, why is the horse moving? The horse is moving because I'm moving. The horse is moving because I'm making the horse move. Therefore, if I want the horse to stop, just quit making them move. You see what I mean? Yeah. So well, I mean, that I've, rhythm I've, gets rhythm. I've seen you when you've been working a horse in a round pen, and that was something I noticed like from the beginning that you don't stand in what you may have them on a, a long rope or not on a rope at all, but and you're standing in the middle of the pen and you're walking in the same circle as they are, just in a small, you know, in that smaller space. And that's why you do that? You betcha, because you're establishing that that working relationship with your horse. If you get if if the horse doesn't respect that distance between the two of you, then you add more pressure. You add more rhythm. If the horse does respect that distance, then all you do is maintain that rhythm and maintain that working relationship. But what I want our listener to listen to, because what it really sounded to me like was that the horse just doesn't didn't respond. She'd tap it on the button, it wouldn't go anywhere, and it'd tap it on the button, it wouldn't go anywhere. So what I wanted to realize is is that if we're going to tap the horse on the butt with a lead rope, or we're going to tap the horse on the butt with a dressage whip, or we're going to tap the horse on the butt with a, a lunge whip, or we're going to tap the, the horse on the butt with some sort of vegetable stick, it doesn't matter what it is, then we have to realize that in order for the horse to give us a response, we have to be committed to escalate the intensity of which we're doing. Otherwise, we're simply going to desensitize the horse to that amount of pressure and they're going to accept it and never feel pressured enough to move and make a change. So, so you've heard your, me say before. I was just going to say, well, that's you, your squeeze, me, bump, kick, kill concept on the ground. Absolutely. You just got through reading my mind because that's exactly where I was going with that is that um, you've heard me say before, and I don't want to scare people by it. And once they hear me say it or they see me demonstrate it, they realize I don't really truly mean kill the horse, but I want to squeeze, meaning I'm going to ask the horse as lightly as possible. If that works, then I don't go to stage two. But if, if it doesn't work, I'm committed to go to stage two. So I'm going to go from that little slight insinuation that I want something to happen which we might refer to as the squeeze. And if that works, great. If it doesn't, then we're going to go to a bump. In other words, I'm going to escalate that just a little bit and get a little bit more assertive. And if that works, great. But if it doesn't, I'm going to get a more assertive still. And I'm going to go from that squeeze, bump, kick, or to the kick. And if that works, great. But if it doesn't, then I'm going to haul off and whack that horse on the butt or whatever it takes to get this horse to finally give me some sort of response. And 
Once it does, I'm going to take that response away and not just keep whacking it, but I'm going to take that away and I want that horse to kind of soak up that moment. Like, wow, I really pissed mom off because she, she got angry. She made me move somewhere. Mm-hmm. Now, the horse might think you're angry, but you need to be in control of your faculties enough to know that you're really not angry. But you did need the horse to respond. And then the next time, you're going to go back and do it the exact same way. You're going to squeeze, bump, kick, and kill. The horse's job is to know your consistency. The horse's job is to learn that, wow, this thing happens fairly quickly. It goes one, two, three, four, and four hurts like hell. So the horse's job is to know that four is coming behind three. And the horse can learn to avoid number four by responding to number three. If you maintain your consistency, then before you know it, the horse knows that three follows two, and it can avoid three by responding to two. Before you know it, the horse will learn your consistency, and he knows that two follows one, and he'll learn he can avoid two by responding to one. And that's how we get a horse more soft, supple, and responsive, is that we have to be believable. We have to be committed to what we want more than the horse is committed to what it thinks it wants. Once the horse believes us, and they believe us through us being very consistent and persistent, once the horse believes us, then the minute we enter the room, the horse is going to give us some sort of positive response. So that's the key to getting that more movement with our horses, is that not by just begging and begging and begging, But by kind of doing what another trainer helped me with many years ago, he said, I want to ask, I want to suggest, and I want to tell. I'm going to ask the horse to do something. If the horse doesn't do it, I'm saying, I suggest you move, horse. And move, then doesn't move. I'm telling you, horse, you better move. You see, in other words, ask, suggest, can tell, or I tell it a more comical way, squeeze, bump, kick, and kill. But Yeah, I love that. that The consistency isn't in just tap, 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 bug, 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 bug. But the consistency is, I always start at the gentlest level I can, but I am committed to escalate it to the point to where I get the result I want. And event over time, Absolutely. the horse learns that. Yep. Like that. Absolutely. It's just like Tom Dorrance always said, it was, it's, I always want to get the horse to respond to the lightest amount of pressure. So I will be as light as possible, but I will be as firm as necessary. So we really have to realize that. We want to start off as light as possible, but be committed to be as firm as necessary. And uh, and in doing so, you're also committing, you're you're committing to the horse that you're its leader. And you're, you're not doing it by whacking and beating on it. That's not the point. The leadership comes from your consistency. And your consistency will lead to your believability. And once the horse believes you that you're going to escalate if it doesn't respond, then the horse will begin to respect that. And before you know it, you've earned the right to be its leader. You so know, it, I, it re- I hope that helps that question. Go ahead, Laura. It reminds me of something that um, you taught me years ago um, when I was having a lesson and I was having an issue in the saddle with the horse not wanting to move forward. And you kind of went through this whole explanation you just did there the squeeze, bump, kick and kill thing. And that I had to be prepared to, you know, pull my legs out and just wail on the horse. And after a few times of going through that process, you told me, and I didn't believe it till it happened, that after a few times of doing that process, the horse figured out, uh, oh, when she raises her legs, I know what's coming next. And it, the horse would start to move forward as I moved my legs away to get ready to kick. 
Right, because so. they know they're coming back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it was uh, it, it, there that this what you've described really. I've I've seen it work, so I think it's useful. Hopefully, that helps the listener. Actually, Laura, this will, will kind of make you chuckle. I think uh, probably around that same time frame in those lessons. Do you remember I put a little uh, thing over the saddle horn and I called it a dumafaji? Uh-huh. And I said, whenever the horse doesn't respond to that, I want you to take your dumafaji and whack it with that dumafaji. Some people might call yeah. that over and under strap, but it's the same thing. It was just the way that uh, you, you could use something other than just you tiring your legs out by kicking. You could just whack the horse with your dumafaji and get that forward motion. But problem was I kept yelling, use your dumafaji. And you'd start laughing so hard you couldn't even use the dumafaji. <laughs> we still that use that word in my house now. <laughs> that's so funny Uh, okay so that's great hopefully that answers uh, uh, I I thought that was a great explanation hope that answers the question for that listener yet another question and uh, we've got a little bit of time left Uh, question two this this other one Laura is actually very very common and I think probably everybody's experienced it somewhere along the line and it's where we go to let's say we've had horses up in a stall or we've had them up in a small pen And we're going to either turn them out into a larger pen or turn them out to pasture or put them out into a turnout pen. And we go to lead the horse out. And right about the time we get ready to take the halter away, right about the time the halter either gets untied or unbuckled, the horse just jerks away and bolts off. And that to me is incredibly rude. And it's also very potentially dangerous. So the question was, uh, this lady has a boarding facility. Uh, Horses are being released on a daily basis from the stalls out into the turnout areas. And some of her horses have really got these bad habits. So what can she do to retrain her staff to better train the horses not to be so rude when she releases them? Well, here's the key. I think it's a great question. And it's very applicable, especially in those scenarios such as boarding facilities, because different people handle the horses. You see, it's it's, it's different if it's doing the same thing uh, with one person only. But if it's doing it to everybody then we basically we need to retrain everybody because the horse has really learned a, a pretty bad habit. And, it, and again, it's potentially dangerous. So here's the first thing that I would do. In leading the horse out to the turnout area, I want to make sure that before we ever get to the turnout area, and certainly before we ever get to the gate that we're going to turn them loose in, I want to make sure the horse is paying very close attention to me. The next thing I want to do is when I lead him through the gate to get ready to turn him out, I'm going to lead him out a little bit away from the gate inside the turnout area, and I'm going to start walking back toward the gate. I never release a horse with them facing in the direction that I know they want to go. I always turn them around and I face the gate. And at that point in time, I will begin to release the horse. And when I say begin to, I'm already beginning to read and pay very close attention to this horse's anxiety level and excitement of being released. At any point, the horse gets excited to the point where he's not paying very close attention to me. He's not being very respectful of me. Then I'm going to slow the process down. I might even ask the horse to to do a little bit of an exercise or two just to keep the horse focused on me and not so much about his soon-to-be freedom. You see, I want him to be very respectful. Now, depending on how severe this jerking away and running away is, or depending on how badly the habit has become, I oftentimes will, before I release the horse, I will actually put the lead rope around its neck. And that way, when I unloose, when I loosen the halter, I don't let it completely go. I hold it there and then I'll ease it off the horse's nose. 
And if the horse pulls away, I've still got the lead rope wrapped around its neck. So I'll hold it and I'll pull it back to me. If the horse is so severe, though, he jerks away with such force that I can't hold the lead rope without jeopardizing my safety, then sometimes what I'll do, I'll really trick the horse. When I get ready to take him out to the, to the turnout pen, I'll actually have two halters on him. I'll put one underneath and then one on top. And I'll make sure that the second halter has a little bit longer lead rope. I'll drop by the, on the ground beside me, but I'll also make sure that it's not entangled around my feet. I'll make sure it's, I'm in no danger of getting caught up in that, in that other lead rope at all. And I'll do the exact same process. Go all the way in, turn the horse toward me, face the gate as opposed to facing the pen, begin to lower the halter ever so quietly, ease it off the horse's face if it'll let me. I'll try to keep its attention on me to keep it facing me. But if it does jerk away, that's when I'll grab the other lead rope and I'll pull it, pull the horse back to me. I just don't want the horse to think that it's okay for him to jerk away from me like that. And now that oftentimes will surprise the horse enough to, wow, he's got two halters on me. I'm still, I'm still caught. I'm still trapped. And then I'll do the exact same process again, but yet with the, the other halter. Or again, depending on how severe it might be, I might slide that other halter back on again and then go back through that same process. In other words, the second halter is nothing more than just the the second halter and lead rope is nothing more than just a safety mechanism for me. And I'll continue that process over and over until I retrain the horse's thinking of jerking away and bolting away from me. But it starts with getting his attention before we get to the turnout pen. The follow-up is to lead him all the way in and then turn him around and face the gate and then not release the halter until the horse is still very calm and very relaxed and then ultimately release the halter. Now, here's the hard part we have to think about, though, Laura. Horses are easy to retrain. The hard part is at a boarding facility, you don't always know who's going to be releasing the horse. The barn manager or the barn owner must, if this is truly a problem for them, the barn owner and barn manager must take responsibility for retraining the staff or the boarders to the point of not allowing the horses to get away with such habits because it is very potentially dangerous. Not that horses would hurt us on purpose, but just because they could turn and jerk jerk so hard. If we were hung up in that halter in any way, the horse could jerk us off our feet and drag us and hurt us. I've, I've, I've seen people get jerked off their feet. I've never seen anybody dragged by a horse, but I know that the potential is there. The other thing is sometimes in horses' excitement, they're just so excited that when they do pull away and they jerk away like that, they'll oftentimes just kick up. And if yeah. they kick, we don't want to be in that line of fire. We, it's just incredibly rude of the horse to do that, but they're only doing it because they've never been taught otherwise. So to me, I think it's very important that the barn manager or the barn owner or both take a responsibility and accountability to retrain the staff and retrain the owners, maybe, and, and depending on what the scenario is, a safer way to release these horses so that we can break that habit of being rude. Because that's really all it is. A horse is just excited and being rude. Um, The horse has no intention of hurting anybody, but Lord knows just because of their size and their strength and their quickness that they sure can. So we really have to teach the horse to stay more in control of their emotions and more in control of their faculties until us little humans can kind of get out of their way and be safe and sound. Well, and it goes back to the same thing you were saying about the first question. It's an issue of consistency. What 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 is done occasionally has very little impact compared to what's done consistently. And if one person's doing it right and everybody else is doing it the less safe way, 
you're never going to make progress there. And so I can see why it becomes very important that the, the leadership at the barn uh, take a very intentional approach to making sure everybody is, understands the issue, understands the pro, the correct process to do this for the safety of the, the people and the horses, and that everybody is following that process on a consistent basis so that the horses can learn. Because I think you're right. Horses are much easier to train than humans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is, too, is that sometimes in, in the barn manager and the barn owner's defense, sometimes it's, it's almost like a husband and a wife teaching each other or a parent trying to teach a child. Sometimes you, you, it's just so common. You just don't have that, that uh, integrity, maybe, that a, a, another person, another professional might have. I've actually been hired to come into uh, boarding facilities and training facilities to help retrain the staff because the staff might regard me as more credible than the owner or the husband or the spouse or the partner or whatever. So, um, I mean, I'm always willing to do that as well. We've done it several times at several different barns over the years. If need be, call us up. We'll come and we'll do a horsemanship demonstration for safety for the entire barn as well as for the, the borders at facilities like this, but it can also be managed by the manager and by, by the owner if, if the other participants are willing to listen and, and pay attention. But it is worth, it's a great question. I, and both questions, in fact, were very good today. Uh, both are very, very important. It's very important to get a horses that are going to be responsive. And the other side of it is get horses that are very attentive and safe. We don't want them to create bad habits that could potentially get us hurt or cause us damage in some other way. So both questions were phenomenal. I really appreciate people sharing those with us today and, and giving us the opportunity to address them. And again, I'm going to throw the invitation out there that if us answering the questions on here was sufficient, great. And if not, let us know, and I'll still try to do a, a vodcast on them, a little short video, and make it accessible to them first before we put it on, on the website. But uh, yeah. really appreciate the questions today, folks. Yeah, so uh, if uh, folks listening have other questions that Van could answer in future episodes, we would love to hear those. You can share those on the Facebook page at the just look for Van Hargis Horsemanship in Facebook and follow that page for updates and information because I know you you post things every day, once in a while there answering questions. You can also email questions comments about this episode, suggestions for future topics to van at info at vanhargis.com. And I think that's, you know, there are lots of things that we could talk about. I'm going to direct everybody to be sure to regularly visit the Van Hargis Horsemanship website, which you find at vanhargis.com. Tons of information there. Uh, Van's calendar for where he's going to be in the upcoming months. And I, I know you're going to be kind of all over the place and everything's there on the calendar. So if he's coming into your area, you could visit him there. And I mentioned before, if you go to an event where Van is, is presenting, be sure to look him up after his presentation or, you know, if you see him in the aisles, introduce yourself and let him know you listen to the podcast. You'll get a special handshake for that. Uh, because uh, he, he likes talking to everybody, but uh, especially those who take the time to listen to the podcast. Uh, while you're on the website, 
check out the Top Hand Club because there you find lots of answers to questions like this. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time because the information's on the website, but it is a, a great resource for those of you who want to improve your horsemanship, improve your relationship with your horse and the results you're getting from the things that you're doing uh, for a, a really nominal fee. And as long as the, the spaces are available for charter members, you can join the Top Hand Club for only four, is it four ninety nine a month, Van? Is that right? Yes, ma'am. Four ninety five, actually. Yes, ma'am. Four four ninety five a month, and that gets you access to an ever growing library of video tutorials that where you can uh, some of the things that we talk about on the show. He does such a good job of explaining them, but some some things are better learned by watching somebody do that. And so he's always filming new little video clips that you can watch. And top hand members have access to all of those all the time, as well as discounts on products in the store, discounts on some of the event tickets and and lots of other things. And they're continually adding new benefits to Top Hand Club members. If you don't make it in as one of the, there are only a few spaces left for charter members at the $4.95 a month. The price will go up after that, but it's still a great bargain and a great value is what it is. If you really care about improving your horsemanship. I think that's it. I Rather than going into the list of uh, upcoming events, I, I commend you to the calendar on the website at vanhargis.com. Anything else I'm missing, Van? Well, Laura, we did mention in the previous episode, speaking of discounts, previous episode, that if anybody will listen to that episode, which would have been episode 54, and listen to the milestone that you and I referred to during that episode, Mention that milestone uh, into us in an email, then we will give you a discount. This is available to everyone. doesn't have to be a top pan member, but to everyone who's listening, a $500 discount off of your choice of the Van Hargis saddles, whether it be a Van Hargis cult starting saddle or a Van Hargis versatility saddle. And we will honor that discount for the end of, uh, all the way up until the end of July. So by the time this episode airs, People are going to run out of time very, very quickly. So you're going to need to respond fairly quickly by the time this episode airs. So, but when you do hear this episode, go to uh, that email address, info at vanhargis.com. Tell us what the milestone was that we talked about in episode number 54. And I will honor a $500 discount off of the Van Hargis saddles. Okay. Uh, I, like I said before, I've, uh, I've been very blessed to have the opportunity to work with some of the best companies in the world when it comes to developing my saddle, and I want people in it. I'm very proud of it. We've we come out with this saddle. I think our cult starting saddle we came out with all the way back in 2006. We've continued to make improvements on it. I think it's probably one of the best values on the market. And the same thing goes for the versatility saddle. So we want people in it. And I thought, what better way than for them to listen to that episode 54? Tell us about the milestone that you and I referred to there in an email, and I'll honor a $500 discount off their choice of those saddles. I also want, Laura, for folks to remember that saddles off my website can be fully customizable. As you see them on the website, is exactly the way I ride them. But if you would rather change the tooling, change the seat length, uh, change the stirrups to be leather or aluminum or whatever you prefer. You say the word and we can make those changes on there. There's a, there's actually a chart on our website that kind of guides you through that. So you can make that saddle completely customizable to you. Great deal. So 
If you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, you better jump on it soon. Go to vanhargis.com. Make sure you've listened to episode 54 to hear what the milestone was that we talked about and shoot an email to Van right away. While you're uh, so that he can be uh, responding with your discount coupon while you're picking out which saddle you want. I think that's it, Van. Anything else? As always, Laura, I just want to extend a huge thank you to all of our listeners and thanks you to all the people who share the podcast with other people. And I want to remind everybody that it's your ride, it's your trail, it's your journey. So ride every stride.